Hi, and welcome to a shiny new podcast called Magical Match, a place to hear about real people with real stories around the important topic of stem cell donation and transplants. In each episode, I'll be chatting with donors, recipients, those in supportive roles, and people who have been affected by either a personal experience or through another's inspirational story. It is my hope that by opening the conversation around stem cell donation, we can inspire more people to sign up to the Stem Cell Register, offering more hope to those in need. In this episode, I spoke with Henny Braund, MBE and CEO of Anthony Nolan. We touched on statistics, diversity, challenges and hopes for improving the lives of people with blood cancer and blood disorders. Henny Braund, MBE, thank you very much for uh, joining me on Magical Match. Can you first tell me a little bit about Anthony Nolan, the charity, because you're working for Anthony Nolan as the CEO. Yes, thank you, Ginny, and thank you so much for inviting me onto this podcast. I think it's uh, an amazing idea and hopefully gets our message out to many, many more people. So your question was about Anthony Nolan. Anthony Nolan is a fantastic charity. We save the lives of three people every single day of the year. And we do that by running a register of truly remarkable people who are willing to donate their stem cells to save the life of somebody who's in need of a stem cell transplant. Those patients usually have blood cancer or a blood disorder. But at Anthony Nolan, we also do wraparound care for patients and their families through providing uh, clinical nurse specialists in hospitals, discussion forums, information. And we also undertake research into improving survivorship for patients who've undergone a transplant. Wow, that is a lot to take in. And I'm sure everybody will find this really, uh, hopefully a really interesting interview. So you were resources director at Shelter. You're a trustee with the World Marrow Donor Association and the Mixed Charity supporting under-25s in mental health and various other social issues. You're a trustee for the Small Charities Coalition, amongst others, and you joined Anthony Nolan in 2009. What drew you to the charity? I guess I, I'd heard about Anthony Nolan, but if I'm perfectly honest, I didn't understand what they did or entirely. And I think when I started to read about the incredible work they did and do, I thought, oh, I would love, I would love to be the chief exec there. And and to be honest, I absolutely love my job. It's the best job in the world. And, you know, to get up every morning and do the work that I do is, is an enormous privilege. And I always think that, you know, we're merely custodians of, um, this incredible charity and we need to leave it and take it to the next level um, for the next generation that will take it forward and it's it's a huge privilege and honour to do the job that I do. And to that end you know over the last sort of few years you've been at Anthony Nolan for uh, since 2009 what have been the challenges and achievements and what are the challenges now? I think you know, over the last 12 years, we have certainly helped many more people than we were um, 12 years ago. 
And we've done that by really growing the register. We were only recruiting around 15,000 a year. Um, we recruit around 70, 80,000 a year now to the register. We've made it much more easy to join the register. It used to be through blood. It's now just through one of those swabs. We've started our patient services. So that wasn't there seven years ago. Um, to provide that support and advice to patients and their families as they go through transplant um, and really kind of invested in our um, research trying to improve survival rates. So over the years it's gone from a £19 million charity to nearly £60 million charity and really helping as many people as we can. We have a very good relationship with government and the influencing, because I really believe that, you know, if we can show the evidence and give our credibility, what we must do is get that stickability. Yeah. So you need to get policy change. Yeah. It's not it's not just about helping people in that moment, that urgency in that moment. It's also how do we get things to stick and, and leave that legacy that continues. Mm. So that's really important to me. I want to ask you a question with regard to signing up to the stem cell register, and we'll get into that a bit more in a moment. When you have people who are signing up for like the organ register and they're donating their organs, obviously that is something that happens after they are no longer here. Has there been a conversation, I suppose, in Anthony Nolan around the idea of sort of signing up to the stem cell register at a, at, a, at a young age as you're doing but to make that more of a like you say like a policy change or make it something that could be more permanent is that something that's possible because it's a choice or how could you address that um, yeah i mean i think it's a really interesting question but we believe very strongly that it has to be altruism it has to be people's choice and you know, the people that do join the register, it's a remarkable thing to do. If you do come up as a, as a donor, you, you will potentially save someone's life. But I think it always has to be that choice. I don't think we would ever want to get into a position where it was an automatic joining the register. I think what we have to do is encourage more and more and more people and try and get awareness of the work that we do to more people which is exactly what you're trying to do Ginny yeah. through this you know fabulous podcast but as you also know a lot of it costs money and we've got limited resources um, to get those messages out but we do do a lot of stuff and I, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about our work with young people and how we do encourage people to join the register we also mm. work very closely with NHSBT who obviously um, run the blood and organ donation, and they also have a small stem cell register. But we work very closely with them. And they are NHS blood and transplant That's it. team? That's yeah. Right. Yeah. OK, how many patients does Anthony Nolan see over the course of a year? Or how many do they connect with? And what I'm trying to get to is how many people are in need of a transplant, I suppose. Yes, so... 2,000 people at any point are looking for a match. So they're looking okay. for that donor. And that's in and the UK, is it? That's in the UK, yeah. So it'll okay. be many thousands worldwide. And um, for us, from our register 
and to meet the needs of patients around the world. We are obviously providing stem cells for um, domestic patients, but we're also exporting and we also import stem cells from around the world. So we're part of the, and you mentioned the World Maradona Association, we're part of that. And there are over 40 million donors worldwide. So when a patient is looking for a match, they're looking at that 40 million to try and find the best match. Wow. And so they're going out, they're going sort of straight, do they go straight out of the UK? Yes, and- yes straight. Everybody is, is, when they're searching for a match, they're searching that 40 million register. They'll also, they've got all the cords on there as well, so umbilical cords, because yes. those people that can't find an unrelated donor sometimes have to have a cord. Um, obviously, there's the sibling. Some people are able to have a sibling match. And then some people have to have a hap, what's called a haplo, which is a relative and your own stem cells. It's kind of like a half and half. And that works very well where, um, particularly for people with um, from ethnic minorities, where it's much harder to find that unrelated donor. Um, but cord plays a big role for them too. You mentioned the diversity side of things. If we can just talk about that for a moment, because cancer obviously affects and blood disorders, but cancer affects sort of one in two of us. With I'm not quite sure how this is the situation or, or why it is the situation, but as I understand it, if you're white European, there's a higher chance of you finding an unrelated donor. I don't know whether that's correct, but it is more difficult if you are from different backgrounds. It's, it's really complicated and yes. it's all down to tissue type. And if you're from an ethnic minority, your tissue type is going to be even more diverse than if you're white Caucasian. Mm. And um, most registries are tend to be in the kind of Western world. Mm. So more of the donors proportionally are going to be white Caucasian. However, having said that, if you take all donor sources into account, so that's your sibling, your cord, your unrelated and your haplo, mm. the chances of finding a donor source are around 95% if you're from an ethnic minority and 97% if you're white Caucasian. Oh. However, if you're just looking for an unrelated donor, then it falls to 37% for an ethnic minority against 72% for a white Caucasian. So it's the unrelated, which is where it's much, much Why is harder. That? It's to do with where the registries are. Um, there okay. are no registry. Well, there's a very tiny registry in Africa, one right. tiny register in, in South Africa. There's a reg- couple of registries in India, but they're tiny when you think there's a billion people who live in India. Yeah. So, and is that down to sort of getting the message out to people about cancer itself and the importance of... Um, m- many, many countries, unfortunately, still don't have a transplant programme. So transplants aren't even happening in many of those countries. Those transplant programmes need to start first before you can have a register so the indigenous population can benefit from a transplant. We are hoping to be working with India to try and support them in recruiting donors to help people in the UK as much as people 
in India because that's the largest ethnic population here in the UK. Wow. So it's a really, really complicated and complex subject. It's it's a lot more complicated than I anticipated. Yeah, it is, oh. it is. And cord is fantastic because with cord you can tolerate a much greater amount of mismatch. So to get the best match, mm. you want all those HLA, the 12 HLAs that you're matching for to match. And that gives you the okay. best, best possible outcome. With cord, you don't have to do that quite so much. Okay. So for an ethnic minority who have slightly less choice in the unrelated donor source, then cord is a great alternative for people like that. So we're working really hard, which is why we invested in cord in 2010. Okay. And we've got now got 10,000 cords available for people to have a transplant. So, yeah. It's, it's amazing, honestly. When I started doing this podcast, I don't think I anticipated the information overload <laughs> that I would receive, <laughs> all the hugely interesting conversations and the, you know, all that you're doing and trying to do. Because as we've talked about, it is about the messaging and it's about trying to reach the wider population. Because although you're saying there's 40 million people on the register, which is absolutely incredible, there are seven billion of us mm. plus on the planet. And it's a passion of mine to make sure that if you ended up having one person, if it's one in two of us, at least if you had at least one person around the planet that was on the register that could be assigned to each person who has cancer, then... Yeah, that would be fabulous. Would and be that's amazing. what we're trying to do. You know, we're definitely trying to encourage as many people to join the Anthony Nolan Register because it is... It is remarkable, you know, the, the chance to save someone's life. So, you know, absolutely key message for us exactly. to get out there. And also, I mean, I think, you know, the really exciting stuff is also within cellular therapy and the future of all that kind of life sciences and, and the stuff that, that, that is happening and our involvement in that. So out of our cool blood bank in Nottingham, the, the cellular therapy research and work that is happening um, to and that's happening in the UK, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very wow. much so. And when you're sort of in, you're obviously working with teams across the globe and internationally. Can you talk about that? Is that is that all sort of research based, or is that um, with other charities that are gathering people for the stem cell register? Do they? How, yeah, it's how? other registries. So the World Maradona Association is just registries. Okay. So that's so we're working with those registries every single day um obviously you know importing exporting providing um donors for for patients we also work internationally on our research programs absolutely yeah and it's a very in that way it's quite an international organization you know learning from each other learning about how they recruit how they reach different targeted groups and the WMDA, the World Maradona Association, have conferences. Obviously, that's been a bit more difficult over the last yes. two years. Yeah. But bringing everybody together to learn. And it's it's such an amazing community. And you know, I've been in many meetings and other conferences where people have been truly amazed because it's so uncompetitive. You've got an international, global, you know, there are, what, 70 registries now? Anthony Nolan was the very first registry in the world, 1974, and since then there are now 70 registries, 40 million plus 
people willing to donate stem cells. I mean, Shirley Nolan is a remarkable woman, what she's done for, for people. Yeah. But we work together for the patient. I think that's what's that's what's quite interesting and, and, and astonishing really is the fact that you've talked about how it's more like a, a great big family because obviously with, with charities around the world, all sorts of different charities, everybody needs help and support. Mm. But with when it comes to cancer and blood disorders, it becomes something that affects all of us. Mm. And therefore it's nice to hear that there are people all you know you're all working together to achieve this one aim of uh, of helping absolutely um, and improve also your lives. a very important role is to protect the donor you yes. know and ensure that they are supported and that everything is done you know with quality and safety in mind you know mm. that is really really important so when somebody has a stem cell transplant and they find a donor an unrelated donor. There is a gap of two years, as I understand it, before anybody can make any contact with each other. And any contact initially is obviously done through, um, whether it's hospital or the register. Why is it that length of time? Is there a reason? Is it more for the patient or is it for the donor? How, how does it work? We put the two years because quite often the donor has to donate a top-up, and that's called yeah. a DLI. And it's just easier if that is still done anonymously and that's our experience i mean some registries don't allow them ever to meet and some have a two-year or some have a longer time we have a two-year waiting period and then both sides have to agree that they want to yeah. meet i mean people do send each other letters yeah. anonymously but the other side may not respond and, uh, and you know that is just respected really yes i think it's quite it's quite an emotional thing and i think think when people make a decision to sign up to the stem cell register they are potentially signing up to save a life and that's quite a huge thing to do and you know and it's it's such a wonderful thing but i can imagine that the sense of responsibility and concern uh, for somebody else who you don't know um could be quite high mm. um, and that might also be a factor in perhaps um, yeah, uh, leaving it a while. Yeah, I think it's just protecting people. In our experience, yeah. it's, it's better that way. Yeah. So when you come into contact with families who are needing a stem cell transplant, presumably you're working with families based on their sense of urgency. How do you hear of the people that need a stem cell transplant? Are you working closely with the hospitals, presumably, and the consultants? And is that how it, is that how it works? Um, yes, but we wouldn't directly go in, in, in sort of in search of a patient. We we just make sure that they're aware of Anthony Nolan and we're there if they need us. Not everybody will turn to us. And I I don't think we're reaching enough patients and their families. I mean, I think there's more that we need to do. And we're working really hard to understand who we're reaching and ensure that we're reaching all communities and working in partnership with other organisations so that we can reach um, everybody and that mm. diverse community that we all live in. Um, mm. It's really, really important to me and to all of us uh, and to Nolan. So there's more work to be done, but it is, I guess, through awareness, through the clinicians talking about Anthony Nolan, um, our CNSs in the hospitals supporting patients, that's a definite you know, connection, but we don't have CNSs in every 
hospital. Some hospitals don't need us to, to fund a CNS because they've already got them. But we also fund psych- um, psychiatrists to clinical psychiatrists, psychologists, and looking at a nutritionist as well. So we're looking where there's a particular need in each hospital and trying to meet that need rather than just doing a blanket, everybody gets X. Yeah. So that's, is that in certain hospitals or is that is that across the UK at the moment? It's across the UK. Across yeah. the UK. How many people are diagnosed with cancer or a form of blood cancer every day? For blood cancer, it's every 20 minutes somebody is diagnosed with blood cancer. Obviously, as you sadly know with, with Ben's story, a transplant is really the last resort and and it is around 2,000 people each year who are looking for a transplant within the UK. Yeah, that that is a huge amount of people. And you don't know, and and maybe that says something for to ensure that the messaging gets out there because until you're in that situation, you really don't know what it entails and mm-hmm. you have no idea mm-hmm. of the importance of signing up to the stem cell register until you're really in need yourself. And then it's yeah. time and yeah. acting quickly most yeah, of the and, time. And, and also the thing with blood cancer is that there is no prevention either or screening. It's yeah. It's... It's quite so, you know, other cancers are things that, you know, you shouldn't be doing, like exposure to lots of sun or drinking too much alcohol or, you know, those will increase your chances of getting cancer. There is nothing like that with blood cancer. And also it's quite hard to diagnose. It's, it's a tricky yes. one to, to diagnose. Um, so that's why research is so important. You know, and that's why we're very keen to raise funds to do more research into ensuring transplants are as successful as we can make them. Yeah. With regard to sort of reaching the youth of the country, mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit about your youth panel and what, what that's about? And To join our register, you need to be aged between 16 and 30. Yeah. And the reason for having young people joining our register, you can, jo- you can stay on till you're 60, but predominantly clinicians will choose young people. Um, you know, 80% of the people that get picked are under 30. So in terms for a charity, you know, bang for your buck, we need to recruit people under 30 because they're the ones that are going to get picked. So we work in schools. We have the HERO programme. We go into schools and educate people aged 16 to join the register. We have the most incredible network of marrow which are in all our universities, well, not all our universities, around 70 universities in the UK. And that's entirely run by students. Wonderful. Um, and they're recruiting young people to the register. Um, and they do a fantastic job. They also raise money for us. And we work in partnerships and we do community, out in the community work to try and encourage people to join the register. And we then also do kind of campaigns, specific campaigns um, marketed at youth to get them to join. And yes, we are setting up a youth panel at the moment to help inform us, co-design feedback on the work that we're doing with youth to make sure that we really target them and get our messages across. Because sadly, I can't describe myself as being from the youth. (laughs) <laughs> so it's really important we get their voice. Um, Don't worry, I'm, I'm so right alongside you there. 
<laughs> and how does somebody in if somebody was interested in getting involved in the youth panel or you know in in Anthony Nolan what what can they do lots and lots of lovely things for people to do just go on to the Anthony Nolan website anthonynolan.org and you can find out lots and lots of ways that you can volunteer you could go and run an event for us that would be fantastic raise some funds you could go and shake a tin somewhere or you can do longer term. We have incredible volunteers who are our couriers. So every stem cells that are collected and taken to a hospital for a transplant, those are taken by volunteers all around the globe. Um, we have about 50 people who do that. They are truly amazing, amazing, fantastic people doing that every day. What an incredible get, job. Yeah, incredible job. Um, <laughs> and they're all volunteers. Yes, all Ultimately, you can volunteer to be a stem cell donor and join our register. And you can do that through the website if you're aged between 16 and 30 and fit and healthy. And it is literally a cheek swab. It takes a couple of minutes, it doesn't it? It is a cheek swab. And we all know what that means now, sadly, because of yes. the pandemic. I don't yeah. have to explain that anymore. Yeah. At least it's not up your nose or in the back of your throat. No, it's just in the cheek. Yes. yes. And then, and obviously, if you do come up as a match, it's a bit more of an involved process. But it is still quite simple. You get an in injection for three days, one injection each day. Then you go into hospital for about four hours and it's like giving blood. You're kind of attached to a machine. Um, most people say it's just a bit boring because they have to lie there and they can't really move their arms. I understood um, they get cake. So They do uh, get cake and they get a visit from one of our lovely volunteers um, oh. and they get a little goodie bag. Oh, that sounds like a uh, lovely afternoon. <laughs> um, and also you potentially saved a life, which yes. I think is just amazing, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's um, a fairly easy process. Some people say they feel a bit fluey, but apart from that, it's it's relatively easy process to go through. So are there any restrictions in signing up that people need to worry about? Is there anything that sort of stands out that you think, oh, no, not at all. If you're, if you're aged between 16 and 30, you will have to fill out a medical questionnaire. And that's, that's when they will go through a set of questions. And should you come up as a match, then you have a proper full medical to ensure okay. that you're fit and we're comfortable with going ahead with the donations. So we make sure we look after you very carefully. Okay. To round off this lovely interview, I've really enjoyed it. Oh, it's been fantastic speaking to you. And just... You know, once again, thank you for doing this. I think it's a great idea to get, you know, awareness out. And it's just a wonderful legacy memory for Ben, you know, pushing out this to help others. For it him. is another statue yeah. that he's asked me to create. So Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, so I, it's a I'm lovely try, statue. Yeah. Trying my best. I think it, it came from speaking with like-minded people on Twitter space. And, uh, and we were all having a natter. <laughs> We, you know, lovely gentleman Andy Mitchell came up with the idea, and um, and I opted in and said I'd love to do it. Um, yeah, no, I know Andy. He's great. Yes, yes. Yeah. And he donated, didn't he? He did didn't donate. He? Yeah, he donated. So, lastly, what vision do you have for Anthony Nolan, sort of moving forward? Always, always to do more for the patient, and I think there is definitely some issues around equity, equity of access and treatment. And I think we really need to hone in on, on those. I think our research and providing 
and doing more research and that infrastructure and really gathering all the data that we can and so that we can analyze trends. I think we need to understand the patient experience and the patient voice. And I really want to ensure that this is absolutely a patient-led, patient-centered organization. It's so important that we take that forward. And the excitement around the cellular therapies and what that can do for people in the future. But at the end of the day, we will do everything we can to improve survival rates. And, you know, all of the work we do has that in mind. If, you know, whether it's the donor source, the research, the support, understanding what's happening for that patient, the donor, that's what it's about. And if we can improve survival rates, then I'm happy. So that's that's why I get out of bed every morning. That's just wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Henny. I really, really appreciate it. And let's hope that more people sign up to the Stem Cell Register after listening to this conversation. Thanks, Ginny. It's been an absolute pleasure. That brings this episode to a close. I'm very grateful to my guest, Henny Braund, for sharing her knowledge and expertise around blood cancer and stem cell donation. She's left me totally inspired. As a sparkly new podcast, we are looking for guests to share their inspirational stories. And if you have one, we'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter at Magical Match Pod and get in touch if you'd like to join me to share your stem cell story. If you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, do like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have time, write us a review. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. In the meantime, please do consider signing up to the Stem Cell Register. You could be someone's magical match. Thank you for listening. Magical Match Podcast is an OB Hive production, originally inspired by a conversation with Andy Mitchell and other like-minded individuals. Magical Match Podcast is hosted and produced by Ginny Walker with audio production by James Walker and music by Cobalt Ocean.